Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Thank you, Matt, and welcome everyone. You are listening to St. Joe's Radio Presents, and we are broadcasting live from St. Charles, Missouri, right across the river from St. Louis. And I'm Karen Nolkemper. I'll be your host today. And with us is our special guest, Shane Kapler. I am thrilled, Shane, that you could join us today. Uh, as many of our listeners may know already, Shane is an author, speaker, prolific writer, teacher, <laughs> preacher, father and son. He's a multi-talented gentleman, and we are thrilled to have him back in our studio audience. So Shane, thank you so much for joining us today. Wow. Well, you are most welcome. I was thrilled to get your invitation. Oh, thank you. Well, gosh, I can't wait. And I know this morning uh, when I was driving in here, uh, I was going to say texting and driving, but I was not texting and driving. But after I got here, I text a number of people we know in common, and they are so excited to hear you and to learn about today's topic. And today's topic I want to share with everyone is spiritual insights from the Apostle James. Spiritual insights from the Apostle James. And what I'm even more excited about is your wisdom, Shane, in terms of how these insights tie directly into our faith, helping us better understand and embrace the truths of our Catholic faith. So faith. So how do we understand that? And then how do we share that faith? So before we dive right into those spiritual insights from the Apostle James, I was wondering if you could please open our session with a prayer, please. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O Jesus, living in Mary, come and live in your servants, Lord in the spirit of your holiness, in the fullness of your might, in the truth of your virtues, in the perfection, Jesus, of your ways, in the communion of your mysteries. Lord, subdue every hostile power through your mighty spirit for the glory of your Father. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. James the Apostle, pray for, pray for us. us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow, thank you. That was a great way to kick off our program. You're and um, yes, what I really love is, I, as I mentioned before, you're a prolific writer. So this is book number what? Do I? That do cracks I, me up that you say you refer to me like that. Um, this is book number five that wow. I've I've written as a solo author. Great, great. And the teaching from the Apostle James. I know the most recent book is James, Jewish Roots 
and Catholic fruits. So Jewish yes, fruits and Catholic uh, fruits for James. So diving right into that, I wanted to um, look at some of those spiritual insights. And I know uh, both in the inter- introduction to your book, as well as looking at James, that very first chapter, the second verse, we, we dive right in there. And a statement that James shares with us, find it very interesting. It's count count it all joy, my brethren, brethren, when you meet various trials. Again, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials. And that makes me smile because that's so counterintuitive to the current thinking of today. To mm-hmm. count trials as joy? How does that work? How, what does that mean? How does that, that make sense? But then you, in your book and in your wisdom, go on to say that James's first declaration there that literally flies in the face of therapeutic deism that masquerades as Christianity in much of the West. So help me out here. I love it. That language is rich and wonderful and powerful. But if you could take just a moment and help us unpack, what exactly do you mean, Shane, by therapeutic deism, number one? And then number two, how does the epistle of James provide a remedy to therapeutic deism? Okay. First of all, I cannot take credit for the term therapeutic deism. Okay. I came across that several years back in an article, and it stuck with me. What it means, though, is that most people, when, when we think about popular Christianity, popular expressions of it here in the West, it's very much this idea that God, his biggest desire is just to, quote, make us happy. So, um, so that's the therapeutic part of it. It's like it's to make us feel affirmed, to make us feel good about ourselves. The deism, it was, um, it was a religious movement in the 17 and 1800s where it's the idea that God is like a divine watchmaker. He set mm. the universe up, and then he just lets it run, and he steps back. So therapeutic deism, God hangs back until we need him to rush in and do what we want to make us happy or mm. make us feel affirmed. And St. James is the complete counter of that because he's talking to Christians and he very much realizes that the cross was not just part of Jesus' life, that the cross is meant to be the part of the lives of Jesus' disciples because it's only through the cross you can enter into the fullness of life that Jesus has in the resurrection. And so the God that James is bringing us to, that he is proclaiming, is a God who's way too big and has much grander plans than to just make us happy. Because this world, this world that we're so comfortable in, and the sin and the distorted ways of looking at ourselves, of looking at our bodies, of sexuality, of making use of this world's goods, that is... um, God wants so much more for us. He wants to bring us to eternal life. And Karen, I love the image if we think of um, a child in the womb. Mm -hmm. And most of our life, well, all of our life in this world is analogous to a child in the womb. And you who've worked so much in the pro-life movement, you know that child is growing, developing. That child it knows, it recognizes its mother's voice, its father's voice, Mm -hmm. but its whole life is that cramped, wet area of the womb. It doesn't know what light is, it doesn't know color, it can't imagine its mother or father's form or shape, and the child is very happy there. I mean, because it's all that it knows. And 
what it doesn't realize when the birthing process starts, which for the child has to be frightening and scary. I mean, its head's being pushed through this tiny little canal. Sure. It has no idea what's going on. It doesn't realize that its mother is trying to bring it to birth into a world that is beyond its imagination. Mm. But it's meant to be in that world, to to see people, to interact with them, to grow, to have vision and smell and taste, senses it doesn't even know it has yet. And, and this little baby, it doesn't realize, you know, it's 19 inches long in, in their mother's womb, it doesn't realize that it's meant to be 84 inches, six foot tall, you know, to have muscles to be able to move on its own. So God is trying to bring us through the the developmental stages of this world that we're in that's like a womb to be birthed into eternal life and to mm. enter into a world and the life of heaven that we can't even conceive of yet. We only know it by faith that he's telling us it's something incredible and we get a glimpse of it in the resurrected Christ. So that's the Christianity that we see so much around us is too small. It's too weak. It's it's somewhat ridiculous. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't offer you anything different than what the world does. Real Christianity does. It's eternal. It's, it's resurrected life. I love what you said, that real Christianity does. It's eternal. It's a resurrected life. And obviously, that needs to be our goal. And thank you for giving that context, because we need a broader vision, not one that's limited and cramped, but one that really embraces the truths that you just shared. So thank you. And I love the analogy of that birthing process, because that's what it's all about, that development and getting us to a bigger, bigger vision that initially we could not even imagine. So thank you for setting that stage and and laying that foundation there. Um, I wanted to kind of piggyback on what you just said, too. You know, um, before you even really got to the text of James, you spent really an entire chapter talking about the history, the history of the epistle of James. Mm -hmm. And why did you feel like that was such an important issue to tackle, the history of the epistle? Okay, well, for me, that's one of the most foundational issues between Christians is the authority of the Bible and the authority of the church, and how do these two things fit together? Are they opposed or are they complementary? Mm-hmm. And the Epistle of James is a case study that really illuminates this whole issue for us. Most of us, when we open a Bible, we just take for granted that James, it's right there in the New Testament after the Epistle to the Hebrews. Okay, that was a a process of hundreds of years for that to come about, and we don't even stop to think about that. And, um, you know, the very first, well, all of the writings of the New Testament, from the very moment that Quill touched parchment, the Holy Spirit had inspired these words to be written down. But it takes the church time to, first of all, there's no printing press, so Mm -hmm. we're recopying these works by hand, and we're carrying them from one city to another and recopying and spreading them. So which documents really carry this apostolic authority and which do not? Because there are many documents in the early church that claim to be from the apostles, but the church discerned that's not really the case. Well, James... um, You know, initially, it's being used by Christians in their liturgy when they gather on Sunday to celebrate the Eucharist. And as it's being recopied and spread from one church to another, sometimes the tradition behind the document, it 
it suffers and it's not passed along. So some churches get the letter and are like, huh, is this, is this legitimate? Is this authentic or not? And the church doesn't really even start to consider which, which book should we be reading in the liturgy and which shouldn't we formally until like 150, 160 AD. And then, um, and it continues like this. And it's not until 367 AD that you find a bishop of the church writing a letter at Easter time to his flock. And he says, these are the 27 books of the new covenant, only these 27. And um, that's St. Athanasius writing from Egypt. And then um, the church, at that point, it really starts to speak definitively. Pope Damasus in the 380s at a local council of Rome, St. Augustine, Council of Hippo, Council of Carthage, Second Council of Carthage, they're all reaffirming this New Testament canon. And when the Bishop of Rome puts a stamp on it, that's when it really becomes um, pretty much settled, you know, mm -hmm. throughout the West. Most Christians, you know, they, they take it as a settled fact from that point on. Right. Oh, that's good. And thank you for kind of giving us that context and history, because I just think it's so important to, to get a foundational piece. And I love just that rich history. So we're, we're brought up to speed and, and knowing what uh, what to what to expect and, and where we're heading. And I also want to ask you, it kind of piggybacks on James's place in mm -hmm. the New Testament. So again, kind of looking, I heard what you were saying and then about the, the 27 Gospels and here's when this was uh, stamped and approved, if you will. Mm -hmm. But then I just... You know, from my own research and study a little bit, what I've uh, learned in my understanding is that I think questions came up again about James's place in the New Testament, kind of around the time of the Reformation. Am I on target with that? I think yes. I've got that. I've got that straight. So yeah. I just wanted to have you share just a little bit more about that and share with our listeners who you know might be uh, unaware of that history. If you could kind of piggyback onto that subject and, and give a little bit more uh, insight in that direction. Of course, of course. Um, well, let me say, I mean, uh, when I said that the history of James, its acceptance in the church, it was a process of development of mm -hmm. which books were accepted. You know, as late as like 300, you have um, uh, Caesarea, um, Eusebius of Caesarea. He's the father of church history, and he's talking about where the canon is at his point in time around 300. And he talks about three groups of books, accepted disputed, and then spurious, ones that everyone rejects. Well, James, um, let's see, I guess Second Peter, Second and Third John, the book of Revelation, they're all in the disputed category still, okay. as far as Eusebius is concerned, around 300 AD. And then it gets settled. Well, when we get to the Reformation, Luther brings up these questions again. And for Luther, he really has this theological lens that he's looking at the New Testament through. And for him, faith alone, faith mm. is what justifies us. And so the books of the New Testament that he feels bring forth this teaching the strongest are the books that should be accepted. And James, who seems to fly directly in the face of that, who will even outrightly say a person is not justified by faith alone, it's, it's also by works. Well, Luther, when he is translating the New Testament into German, he'll just come right out 
and he he will move James and Jude and Revelation and Hebrews also that he felt went against his teaching on faith alone. And, and Shane, hold that thought for just a second. I just want to remind our listeners very briefly, too, uh, that they are listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents. Again, we are broadcasting live from the Rome of the West here in St. Charles, Missouri. Uh, and today, our guest, our special guest is Shane Kapler, who is the author of James Jewish Roots and Catholic Fruits, and he is sharing his wisdom on spiritual insights from the Apostle James. So uh, thank you for listening. And, and Shane, I just wanted to make that station break. I also wanted to let our listeners know, too, if they would like a free CD of today's program, because you are covering a lot of great territory, rich history, a lot of good insights and explanations. So that particular number for the callers is 636-447-6000. So didn't mean to interrupt you. Thanks so no, much. No. Uh, continue on with your, with your thought. Thank okay. you. Well, so Luther, he moves James in these three other books to an appendix to the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And when he writes a preface to them, he refers to James as being an epistle of straw. And I'll quote from him directly. He mm -hmm. goes on to say, in the first place, it's flatly against St. Paul and all the rest of Scripture in ascribing justification to works. And he says, this fault therefore proves that this epistle's not the work of any apostle. And Let's see, further down, he says, Therefore, I will not have him in my Bible to be numbered among the true chief books, though I would not thereby prevent anyone from including or extolling him as he pleases, for there are otherwise many good sayings in him. One man is no man in worldly things. How then should this single man alone avail against Paul and all the rest of Scripture? Now, Luther, that was his original preface to these works. When his New Testament was revised a few years later, he did take out those last two lines that I shared, but the okay. rest of his criticism of James and having it in an appendix prevailed. Um, luckily, the other reformers, they were not persuaded by Luther's arguments. They felt that James and Paul could be made to agree, and so James retained his place in the New Testament of all Christians. But the Old Testament suffered. Um, it, uh, they did move the Deuterocanonical books into an appendix to the Old Testament, and eventually those dropped out, sadly. But okay. yeah, so that's, that's how James fared in the, Re in the Reformation. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that, because I know obviously the church believes that Paul and James agree. So mm -hmm. just further understanding the church's read on both Paul and James is, is very critical in terms of our foundational understanding of our faith. And so I don't know if there was any additional um, thoughts you wanted to say along those lines or, or not that would help further clarify some things so people um, feel comfortable in their understanding of, of what the church teaches. Sure. Um, well, you know, Karen, it provides a really nice segue for us mm -hmm. to talk about when most people think of James, they think of the issue of justification, right. that it's by faith and works as opposed right. to just faith. And so, you know, what is the teaching of Scripture? Right. Well, James, you know, he tells us at the, at the beginning of his letter how every good endowment and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. St. Paul is of the same exact mind. He says that, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is mm -hmm. not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. 
Now, what we're talking about here is initial justification, how a person comes into relationship with God the Father, and it is through faith in His Son. I love what you said. It's all about relationship. How does a person come into relationship with God the Father and through His Son? So thank you for uh, stating that, and, and, and go oh, ahead. Oh, sure. Yes. Um, yeah, because, you know, if you want to look at justification as just a legal matter, you're outside of the thought of the New Testament. It's it is a personal relationship that you're being brought into with the all-holy God, and He initiates this out of His own mercy and grace. Mm. So nothing that we do beforehand can merit God's, God's reaching out to us and giving us grace, giving us faith, letting us believe and accept that gift of baptism, which gives us supernatural life. That's all grace. Paul says it. James says it, the Catholic Church says it. Great. Paul, James, the Catholic Church, all grace. I think that's just so important for our listeners to hear because I think sometimes there's confusion out there. Not sometimes, but there is. And so I think it's very important for that statement to be made known uh, just to to add that clarity. So thank you. Yeah. And so if we're supernaturally born in Mm -hmm. baptism, okay, and that's all by grace, at that point, after birth, we're expected to grow. And we're supposed to grow supernaturally. That does require our cooperation. And just like physical growth requires proper nutrition, the functioning of the muscles, avoiding danger. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna grow supernaturally, you've got to avoid grave sin. Yes. You've got to be attentive to prayer, willing to live as Christ Jesus in this world. Mm-hmm. And so James, he can say without these, he'll say, What does it profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but not works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister's poorly clad, I'm sorry, poorly clothed and in lack of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what does it profit? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And this is continued by St. Paul in his epistles when he says, again, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And he says to the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this, it agrees too with what Jesus says in the Gospels, in John's where he says that he is the vine and we are the branches. Yes. And we bear fruit because the life is flowing from the vine into the branches. But Jesus says, any branch that does not bear fruit, my father will cut off and cast into the fire. Mm -hmm. And again, it's because this is a relationship. This is a living thing that we are in with the Lord. And if we're not letting his life flow into us, if we're not cooperating with him, if we're putting up barriers and fighting, then we are we are derailing our own development process. We won't be ready for the life of heaven. I love what you said about derailing the developmental process. I think that's key and critical. And for all of us then to really focus on how do we make sure we do not derail the developmental process? What can we do to not derail? De- 
derail the developmental process. And as you so succinctly said, you know, number one, avoiding grave sin. Mm -hmm. Number two, and then that leads me to think, to make people uh, available of the sacrament of reconciliation or going to confession, how important that is to cleanse us spiritually and put us back on the right track. So avoiding grave sin, and then also making ourselves available of the wonderful sacrament of reconciliation and confession. And then the second thing that you said was to really focus on prayer and to really have that rich prayer life. And I'm so grateful within our church. You know, we are given the rosary. We're given the, the chaplet of divine mercy. We're given many tools, but especially the rosary to, to meditate on the, the mysteries of Christ's life and, and the life of, of Mary. And so we've got avoiding grave sin, focusing on uh, strengthening our prayer life, like strengthening those developmental muscles. And I love spending time in adoration. That's another way to really get on our knees out of humility and faith in front of our Lord and, yeah. and pray in thanksgiving and supplication and just to be present and build that relationship as we are on our knees in adoration. So that second piece was to focus on prayer. And the third piece, I believe, you were saying was getting back to imitating Christ in his mm -hmm. ways. So we want to avoid grave sin one. We want to strengthen our prayer life two. And then really focusing on how do we imitate Christ number three. Yeah. So I think those are really critical stepping stones in terms of really enriching the developmental process as opposed to derailing the developmental process. Karen, what you're picking up on, that is perfect because where I wanted to go next was to talk about how Paul you know, Luther thought that Paul spoke very despairingly of the law because Paul would say, um, you are not saved by works of the law, you're saved by faith. And yet in James, James speaks very glowingly of the law. And so is there, again, this disagreement between the two? No, there's not. When Paul says um, a man's justified by faith, not works of the law, that phrase works of the law has a very specific meaning in first century Judaism. It's talking about circumcision, following the Jewish calendar, celebrating Sabbaths, temple sacrifices. Those are works of the law. St. Paul, he speaks very highly of the law in Romans. Again, the epistle that Luther always went to. When he says, and again, he's writing to Jewish and Gentile Christians. Mm -hmm. And this mixed community, Jewish Christians had this idea that when Gentiles came to faith in Christ, they needed to start living under the Jewish law and start practicing these works of the law. And Paul's like, no, no, that's not what saved them or what saves you. It's your faith in Christ. But Paul does go on to say, my brethren, show no I'm sorry, I'm looking. He says, God will render to every man according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and, and immortality, he will give eternal life. It's not the hearers of the law, again, this is the Mosaic law, who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. When Gentiles who have not the law of Moses do by nature what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts. All right, that's the new covenant, the law written on the heart. 
I love it. That makes so much sense. The, the law written on our heart. We're going to pick up with that in just a little bit. A few announcements as we approach our station break. Again, you are listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents, live broadcast from St. Charles, Missouri. We are the Rome of the West. You can reach us for a free CD of today's program through 636-447-6000. Again, my special guest is Shane Kapler. He is the author of the book, James Jewish Roots and Catholic Fruits. And again, you can contact us at this number to get a free CD, 636-447-6000. We also have a website, and then we're also available on sjen.tv, on the internet or Roku. So just wanted to share that information with all of you. Academy has the solution, offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium, classical, Ignatian, flexible and affordable. Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs. We offer a wide range of services including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace and traditional homeschool courses for maximum flexibility in home education our support services include advising for parents record keeping and transcript services a grading service standardized testing and guidance and college counseling for more information check out their website at colby.org that's k-o-l-b-e dot org or give them a call area code 707-255-6499. That's 707-255-6499. It's Colby Academy. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the Pro-Life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Okay, we are back. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we're going to continue with our guest, Shane Kapler, in just a minute. But first, I wanted to clarify one comment I made right before the break. In order to get our free CD, again, the CD is free. We just kindly ask that you pay for postage, uh, shipping, and, and handling. But it's all free. And again, that number to get a copy of today's program is 636-447-6000. And the title of today's program, again, Spiritual Insights from the Apostle James. So what I love about this, and as we're unpacking all of these truths with my guest here, Shane Kapler, what I love is this gives us a strong foundation of why we believe what we believe as Christians, in particular Catholic Christians. So again, you have that number, and uh, Shane's going to pick back up where he left off. But before he does that, I do want to make one other announcement. Uh, the St. Louis Catholic Man of the Year Award, that is coming on June 13th, 2021. So we encourage all of you to nominate a worthy gentleman from your parish. We have so many talented, faith-filled men in our area, and this has been a wonderful program. I know I've been privileged to participate a number of years myself and even nominating 
finding uh, some folks who really fit that bill. So again, St. Louis Catholic Man of the Year, June 13th, 2021, just a couple months away. So with that, Shane, I'm going to turn it back over to you and let you continue your thought from right before our break. Okay. Um, Karen, I was sharing how St. Paul, he does speak positively about law when he talks about the law that's written upon the hearts of Gentile converts. And this is the law that Jeremiah talks about, um, that the Spirit will write the law upon their hearts when the Messiah comes. So this is the law of Christ. And Paul does talk in Galatians 6, 1 Corinthians 9, how we are called to live under the law of Christ. James is hitting the same beats in his epistle mm. because he talks about the perfect law, the law of liberty. We seem to assume it's the law of Moses. No, it's not. He's talking about the law of Moses explicated, completed by Christ. And we can hear that on the Sermon of the Mount, that we're going beyond just obedience to the exterior command to the very heart of it. It's not enough just not to commit adultery. Jesus says, don't even look with lust at someone else. If you do, you've committed adultery in your heart. So we are being called both through Christ and his apostles, James and Paul, to this incredible perfection, the perfection of God himself, this holiness can only come about through grace. And Amen. that starts with faith. Yes. You know, so we have to cooperate with it, though. We have a choice in the matter. Yeah. Thank you. Just like you said, we have a choice in the matter. We have to cooperate. I also love what you said, Shane, about this is the fulfillment from our heart. So it's not just a legalistic uh, compliance with a particular law, but it's an all-in, heartfelt embracing of the law, fulfillment of the law and the commandments, and a willing desire to, again, uh, imitate Jesus and fulfill that command, being so aware of his immense love towards us, the Father's love. And so, again, it's that heartfelt, all-in um, not compliance, but embracement, uh, embracing the law. I don't think That's embracement's a, word. a word, but I'm going I'm to go with that. I We're like going to go with that. It'll work. So thank you for saying that. And again, that also reminds me of back to that developmental process, how we don't mm -hmm. want to derail that. So what else can we do? And again, it's having that genuine desire uh, forged out of a relationship to fulfill that commandment from the heart, not just a legalistic minor compliance with the rules and regulations. So um, thank you for hitting upon that and, and giving further light to that particular uh, passage. And, and works or words, excuse me. So um, in any case, if I could, I, I didn't want to, are you no, finished no. with that? Okay, good, good. Um, there's something, there's a few other key questions I have for you that I know our listeners would love to learn more about as well. And one of these is just looking at the epistle of James, you know, it has a lot to teach us mm -hmm. about the four, the composition of the four gospels. And if you could elaborate a little bit more, how so? How does that epistle teach us about the composition of the four gospels? Please tell yeah, us. I think the first time that I read James, James, I was probably in eighth grade, and something that jumped out at me, because I had started with the Gospels and was going straight through the New Testament, and when James says in chapter 5, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten, mm. your gold and silver have rusted, and that will be evidence against you. And then he also says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no that you may not fall under condemnation. And when I read those, I immediately remembered, well, Jesus says that stuff. You mm -hmm. know, it, it's, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Right. And so even as a kid, it was obvious to me that James is quoting Jesus. But what's funny is 
he doesn't say he's quoting Jesus. <laughs> he just, he has these words in his epistle. And it's not until much later in life that I'm thinking through this, like, what are the implications of that? And as I'm looking into James, I'm realizing scholars think that James may well be the earliest New Testament document written. Hmm. Because when James is writing, he's addressing this to Jewish Christians. You know, Paul, when he writes, he's talking to Jews and Christians. They're in mixed communities. But James seems to have no knowledge that Gentiles are coming to faith yet. Well, Paul's missionary journey, where that really started, was 47, 48 AD. James is probably writing, you know, within about 16 years of Christ's resurrection, if he doesn't know about that. And so when he is quoting these words of Jesus, we wouldn't know they were quotations unless the Gospels, which weren't going to be written, you know, probably Mark, mm -hmm. not to like 60 AD. And most people want to push Matthew and Luke back to like 70 or so. These are the earliest written record of Jesus' words that come to us. And when we set them side by side with Matthew's gospel, we recognize that he's quoting Jesus, but it's not the exact wording between the two, between James and Matthew's gospel. And you know, as I started looking at this more, I'm starting to see more places in James where I can, I can recall Jesus' voice saying something very similar. And when we set the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, side by side with James, we see that sometimes Luke's account of Jesus' words is actually closer to what James writes down than what Matthew's is. What's going on? And um, the answer is that James, like all of the apostles, he's witnessed the life of Christ. And he is writing and he is preaching as an apostle of Christ with apostolic authority. And he doesn't have to stop and say every time he quotes the Lord Jesus, because the early church, when they hear the apostles preach, they take everything they're saying as Christ Jesus speaking through them. And so that's why James can, can speak so authoritatively in his letter, because he's speaking in the person of Christ. Now, James, well, let me jump to the Gospels. Luke, at the start of his Gospel, he makes it clear. He says, I have very meticulously talked to the witnesses. You know, I've gone through everything. I've done my research, and I'm setting down for you an orderly account of our Lord's life. So Luke is telling us that the Holy Spirit did not save the gospel writers, any of that struggle that every author goes through, but he made use of it in the process of inspiration to give us Christ's words. Now, the, the gospel writers, like Luke, he's saying, I spoke to the original witnesses. I'm going back to the tradition, the apostolic tradition, which Christ, who didn't write down anything, he communicated his truth completely orally to the apostles. And they did the same thing for decades mm -hmm. before the New Testament started being composed. Okay, so when we get to the written gospels, they are looking back to the tradition, and they're pulling from that in the composition of their works. When we see how between one gospel to another, sometimes the wording may differ slightly. Well, it's because these authors are pulling from this great tradition. They're not trying to be tape recorders or stenographers necessarily. Right. They're really giving you Jesus' true words, but 
you know, sometimes like in James, it may be a paraphrase of mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is apparently very okay with that. It's, it's how he chooses to work. Um, and it reminds us that this tradition, <laughs> this tradition precedes and it always stands right alongside the written word of God. The written word of God depends upon the tradition. You know, that's its material source for what's being said. Um, so, yeah, I, it's so funny. I mean, because just a couple verses in James, you can read those and you can hear the voice of Jesus, but it opens you up to this really incredible truth that scripture and tradition, the, the authority of the written word and the authority of the tradition that Christ entrusted to the apostles, they go together. They were never meant to be pulled apart. Absolutely. Very, very well said. And thank you for, again, laying that foundation, giving us the historical context, bringing us forward so that we have a richer, fuller understanding, uh, mirroring those two, just as you had said. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to to do that. So what I want to do now, this is I'm going to shift gears a little bit. So we're still obviously focusing on spiritual insights from the Apostle James, but really I want to switch gears to another topic that is so relevant and we're hearing it today everywhere. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but I know you can handle it and we're going to knock the ball out of the park here. I want to switch gears and talk about the term social justice. Today we're hearing that really everywhere, mainstream mm-hmm. media as well as in the church. So, and there's mixed thoughts and there's, um, well, I don't know, a lot of information out there. And I just wanted to get your take from your research, your study. What is an authentic Christian understanding, authentic Christian understanding of social justice, and how does the epistle of James speak to that directly and specifically? I think that will be helpful for all of us. So how do we, something that we're really um, encountering today, and we want this holy, authentic, real, rich understanding, what, what does this mean? What does this look like from a Christian perspective? And again, looking at the epistle of James to help us unpack that term of social justice and what we're called to do. Sure. Um, Karen, that phrase, social justice, it's, in our day, as you said, it's being used to justify all types of movements where people feel that, you know, people's different sexual inclinations, um, that these need to be acknowledged, they need to be celebrated, that these are true um, manifestations of diversity in humanity. And what social justice really means, okay, and I'm saying that's a hijacking of the term because social justice goes back to the the Word of God. And mm-hmm. James says that the treatment that we owe to other men and women is based on the fact that they are made after the image and likeness of God. That is the source of their dignity. That's what makes them different from the animals that, right. that we have as pets and, and we love and are affectionate towards. But they do not have the dignity of persons um, made in God's image. And so for James, that's at the heart. And from that, he draws out implications where he has a lot to say about the treatment of the rich, the richest treatment of the poor. Okay. He talks about how there there was favoritism being shown in the church uh, for rich members. And James, he rejected that completely. Mm -hmm. He said, no, in this place, it is based upon your dignity before God, which is equal. There should be no partiality. And he, he reminds them how the rich have exploited them. 
and how if there are any rich among Christians doing that, they need to repent quickly because the day of judgment is approaching and they will have to give an account. In fact, he, he quotes, he paraphrases, I should say, from Jeremiah's, one of his prophecies where he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem mm -hmm. and how that's going to come upon the rich. All right. Social justice, the term, it's really the popes who popularized mm -hmm. that, writing these papal encyclicals mm -hmm. as communism starts to take root in Russia. And they're seeing industrialization in the West, how the rich really are starting to abuse the poor. Mm -hmm. And we know that from our social studies class sure. growing up. And so the Pope is writing and he's saying to them, there needs to be a social justice, a justice in society. I love that. If you could say that again, there needs to be a, a, a justice in society. Or, yeah, or, yeah, a social justice, a justice in society Yes, where people are not being exploited, where money is not the bottom line, but human dignity is the bottom line. And, and when that is not respected, then you are going to see people react against it. But they're going to do it oftentimes in... in um, aberrant ways. And so you see the revolution in Russia and what mm -hmm. happened and communism takes root. And the popes are trying to head that off. Instead, they're calling Christian business owners, um, leaders of industry to start to practice this social justice, to give their employees right. a just wage, yes. to recognize that employees should be able to express grievances to their employers. Um, and so it's the popes that make that term social justice that bring it into our consciousness as a people. Um, and then today, that idea, again, it's being hijacked and the term social justice mm -hmm. is being used to advance whatever quote unquote need we feel we have. Um, you know, we feel that, um, again, Whatever our behavior is, it needs to be recognized. Right. And one thing, I just want to do a station uh, announcement here, and then I want to pick up on that because I do have a thought I want to share with you as sure. well. Uh, again, just for our listeners, you are listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents. We are broadcasting live from the Rome of the West over here in St. Charles, Missouri. My guest today is Shane Kapler, the author of James, Jewish Roots and Catholic Fruits. And specifically, we are looking at spiritual insights from the Apostle James. If you would like a free CD of this program, please call us at 636-447-6000, 636-447-6000. However, I do want to just make a quick point. Uh, please, we just ask for postage and shipping and handling. That's all. But the CD itself is free. So again, thank you for listening. And Shane, I want to uh, go back to something. And I'm so glad you're unpacking this because what's tough, because I'm um, kind of in my own role too, learning with all my Catholic history and background and tradition and, and faith for many, many years, that whole principle of Christian subsidiarity. Mm -hmm. To whom much is given, much is expected in return. And I think that's critical. That's a critical calling as we further unpack and dissect those words that unfortunately should not be hot button words. But because of just how our culture is moving today and, and different forces and different camps, that unfortunately those words, because we want to have society as just, that workers receive a just day's wage for just work, mm -hmm. that they are not exploited and taken advantage of by anyone. So again, I'm, I love further unpacking this because I think we all agree people do deserve 
just wages, just treatment, because we all deserve dignity and respect. To your point, we are all made in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ as, as fellow human beings. So I think that's so critical to get that out there. And then also for me, that principle of Christian sub subsidiarity to much is given, much is expected in return. That is our baptismal calling, and that's the right thing to do. Again, how that's uh, done, the Holy Spirit will lead us in terms of how we are supposed to be um, just and fair and loving to our fellow human beings. But I just wanted to, to share that thought yeah. as well as it was uh, coming to me. No, so. I'm glad that you brought that up, Karen. And you know, just historically to realize that something, an issue like racial justice, which is such a key component of social justice, mm -hmm. that has its roots in Christianity. Nowhere else. It, right. it springs from the gospel and its implications continuing to unfold and people penetrating what it really means for them not to be man or woman, slave or free in Christ. And, you know, to say, okay, if someone really does have the dignity of a child of God, then how do I treat them? Right. Do I afford them the same opportunities that I do to someone else? Christ says you have to. Um, you know, so we, I think, as Christians need to claim social justice. I agree. Well, well said. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for delving into that, because I know that is a, a topic that, unfortunately, like I said, there's different thoughts out there. So thank yeah. you for saying that we as Christians need to claim, you know, social justice. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ? I should share, too, that social justice, um, when we look at what the popes say, mm -hmm. it is surprising at times. Like in the early 1900s, you have the popes talking about wage sharing, and, you hmm. know, we think of wage sharing as something more recent where employers start to, mm -hmm. you know, allow employees to, like, own stock in the company and be a part of that. No, the popes were calling for this over 100 years ago um, as a way to head off the abuses that were taking place and prevent people from rebelling in something a false way like communism or socialism. Thank you for sharing that. I did not know that. Thank you. Oh, like yeah. I said, I, I learned something new. I've shared this uh, before. Every time we talk about faith and scriptures, I always learn something new, relevant, historical that has profound implications that's important for a fuller, richer understanding of our faith. So thank you. And you've got another thought to share, I, I can tell. I do. Um, John Paul II, again, True social justice recognizes what man and woman are, not a distortion of what we are, not trying to affirm us in distortion, but in truth. And so John Paul reminds us that the cell of society is the family. And so he calls for employers to pay a, a true living wage, mm -hmm. and he says sufficient to support a family. So that if a woman does feel called to, to practice that full-time role of mother in a home, she should be able to do that. It should be an option where so much of the time in our society, it's just not. Moms might want to be at home, but they don't have a choice about it. And so John Paul says, either start to pay a family wage, something that one spouse can support a family, or have society reevaluate a mother's role. And he says, look at the toil connected with it the need that children have for care, love, and affection in order that they can really develop into the responsible, moral, religiously mature, psychological stable, psychologically stable persons they're intended to be. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank oh, yeah. you. I mean, and that's so true. Thank you. I think I'm excited that people are 
willing to have a dialogue and, and delve into this truth and further see what's being said and elevate those roles that are so important for caring for the family. And again, getting back to that justice, how do we have um, situations that allow for that, that again, respect the family, respect everybody's roles within a family and within society. So I just, that was just very beautifully stated and uh, just glad glad to hear that. And I think people would be uh, pleased as well too, because I know there's a number of folks saying, how do we do this in today's society? Right. And continue to elevate and, and respect the role, especially of mothers, but definitely uh, for individuals as well too, but but thank you for for sharing that. Yeah. Oh sure. Okay, good. I know we're getting a little bit close to time, but I'm gonna try to sneak in one more topic <laughs> if that's okay. Yes, so, ma'am. All right. Thank you. Here we go. All right. Um, James tells us to pray for wisdom. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you say that the wisdom we seek is the wisdom of the cross. Okay, right. the wisdom of the cross. So very briefly, what light does scripture shed on this type of wisdom and the mystery of suffering? So um, sorry, I know I'm, I'm giving this heavy one with the last uh, few minutes here, but I would love to get your take on all of that. Right. Well, we started our conversation. Right. You quoted James' second verse where he says, Count it all joy, brethren, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That word steadfastness, the original Greek means to remain under a heavy load. That's the cross. Sure. You know, so count it all joy when you suffer trials because you are developing that grace of remaining beneath the cross of Christ, of progressing toward the top of Golgotha with him, of completely offering yourself to the Father. And... Karen, isn't that the whole goal of our life is to take on the image of Jesus? So when we experience difficulties and instead of rebelling or instead of becoming despondent, when we can remain in a position of faith toward the Father, knowing, believing that he loves us despite what we are suffering through right now, we are taking the image of Christ crucified. And that's the goal of the whole thing, you know? So again, this is... This is real relationship. This is sure. this is being Christ, giving birth to Christ in our souls, his image, his life in us. It's living it. This is not something legal. This is a relationship with the all-holy God, and it ends in the joy of the resurrection. Uh, and even that count it all joy, my brethren, that word joy in Greek, it's the same root as grace. So we can rejoice in this because it's Christ's grace that's allowing us to persevere. I love it. Oh my gosh, that was beautifully well said, Shane. Thank you so very much. And along those lines, I just want to remind our listeners, how can you get a free CD of today's program? So if you could call us at 636 636- That's 636-447-6000. And we are happy to send you a free CD of the program. We just kindly ask that you could help us with shipping and handling and postage. Otherwise, the CD is completely free. And today's uh, guest, as you know, Mr. Shane Kapler. Shane has written the most recent book, James, Jewish Roots and Catholic Fruits. And today's program focused on spiritual insights from the Apostle James. And so uh, please contact us to get a copy of this. The other item is I want to make you aware that we have a website here with St. Joseph's Radio. Shane also has a website, and he'll tell you very quickly. 
explainingchristianity.com. Very good. Thank you. St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.